This is Roger Penske, and you're listening to Pit Pass Indy, sponsored by Penske Truck Rental. IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. Welcome to this week's edition of Pit Pass Indy. Presented by Penske Truck Rental. There was big news announced by IndyCar on December 7th, but not necessarily positive news. IndyCar officials announced the highly anticipated, greatly publicized debut of the hybrid assist unit that was scheduled to be on all cars for the entire 2024 season has been delayed because of supply chain issues. Pit Pass Indy had an in-depth interview with Penske Entertainment President and CEO Mark Miles at his office at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on December 6th. But it was one day later when IndyCar announced it was delaying the rollout of the hybrid system until after the 108th Indianapolis 500 at the earliest. Later in the podcast, we will have the full interview with Miles on a variety of topics. But we lead off with an interview conducted with Miles on December 11th to get the latest on why IndyCar is delaying the rollout of the hybrid assist unit until later in 2024. Here is my exclusive interview with Miles on that topic for Pit Pass Indy. Mark Miles, Penske Entertainment President and CEO, joins us now. Mark, we're going to hear from you with an in-depth interview later in Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. But we wanted to do uh, lead off the show asking you about the news of last week when IndyCar announced on December 7th that it was going to delay the implementation of the hybrid unit until midway through the season. And if you could explain to our listeners the reasons behind that move. Happy to. Thanks, Bruce. So the, the, you know, the key thing is that, well, the, th- the, the key thing to think about with the hybrid is that it's just got to be right. We're so proud of our racing. It, it is so compelling, so, so exciting. Um, you know, the, the cars are so reliable. It's just, it's just a great sport on the track. And so whatever changes we make need to keep, uh, keep that tradition. And if anything, improve it for the the drivers and the fans with respect to the hybrid in particular. Um, we are pleased with the incredible amount of development work that's been done. This is really creating new technology and it's been a very close partnership between IndyCar, Honda and Chevy and Ilmore. And in some ways we can declare success already because we know the technology works 15,000 miles on track using prototype parts. It works. The issue is supply chain. So 
once we prove, we prove the technology, we have to go to the, the suppliers. They have to be able to get us adequate number of parts. They have to be tested. The production parts have to be tested. And then they have to be supplied so the teams have them and can, and can uh, be ready to race with them. So we got word when we made our announcement of a delay that the uh, supply chain aspects of it were, were not, uh, not on schedule. They were backed up some. And so we made the decision rather than risk our racing, whether it be at St. Pete or, or certainly not at the Indianapolis 500 mile race, we just pushed back to after that later in the summer. Now there's been a little bit of a pushback from fans and from maybe even some other people involved in the sport about how this has happened. I know that the uh, hybrid assist Unit has been a very key project for IndyCar for several years now. I guess in a lot of ways you could say it's a situation where IndyCar decided it's better to be safe than sorry in this situation to where some teams, you know, might show up and there aren't enough parts for them to put a hybrid on the car. Or there's enough parts, but they're not reliable. No, I think that's exactly right. It's, it is better to be safe than sorry. Listen, there have been delays, but initially we got socked with COVID right away. We know what the world looked like in 2020. Then we had, uh, frankly, a, a problem with a, a third party that was kind of helping us lead the whole process of development. And we tried and tried and tried to see if that arrangement could work and then finally decided that it wasn't going to work. And so that's when we delayed and reset again. And that's when Honda and Chevy uh, stepped up. And again, they've done a fabulous job. So we, they've gotten it to the point where we are confident in the technology. Now we just got to get the, uh, the production parts here and tested and in quantity so that we can go. You announced that it would be implemented sometime after the 108th Indianapolis 500 in May 2024. A uh, question there is if the season's already underway with its 2024 championship, to throw a new part into the mix um, in the middle of the championship run, is that a something you may want to con- reconsider? Well, that's not the conversation internally so far. We believe that the teams and all the drivers will have had adequate opportunity and an equal opportunity at the end of the day to, uh, to get used to it and to figure out how to make the most of the technology. And so it's a, uh, if it's reliable, if it's going to do its job, if all the teams are um, ha- have equal access to it prior to putting it on the track to race, it's going to do some really good things for the racing, like more horsepower. And so uh, we're eager to get to it. And how much have you lightened the, ch- the car? Because I know that even without the hybrid being put on, the car is going to be a little bit lighter, which may mean higher, faster speeds. Yeah, well, the the car, when we do run it with the full hybrid system, will be a little bit heavier. But we worked really hard to bring that down in lots of different ways. And to the extent that we run it early in the year, run the cars early in the year with the lighter parts, um, that means they're going to be faster because we haven't added the weight, but we've taken out weight. So I do think there'll be some interesting uptick in speeds in it in the first half of the year or so until we put the hybrids on it. And then it, uh, it'll sort of balance out. 
it's also been a cooperative effort between Chevrolet, Honda, and IndyCar, and to be able to get all three of them to work in conjunction together, how important was that? And because of that, were you a little surprised by uh, some of the comments that were made from a Honda employee or a, a Honda a person involved with American Honda late last week about bringing costs down in IndyCar to for them to continue being part of the series beyond 2026? Well, I think of them as two related issues. The collaboration on the the priority of developing the hybrid has been fantastic, as your question suggests. And I think it's, uh, I mean, I've been involved now for 11 years. I haven't seen anything like it. The amazing communication, you know, basically one group focused on the supercapacitor packs and others on the, uh, let's call it the hybrid motor and the electronics related to that. And they've just been hand in gloves. So that was, that's been a terrific thing to see. Um, as to the second part of your question, that is about cost. And the cost issue wasn't about the hybrid. The cost issue is a broader, longer term thing. They hope that we can find a third OEM or find other ways to bring down each manufacturer's costs in the, in the foreseeable future. And as we've said before, we feel like we are very cost conscious. We used to get criticized for that. Um, and we are going to work on the third OEM, but I think our prospects are best after the hybrid is successfully introduced. Uh, although really that effort has never stopped. It continues. And, um, you know, we're, we'll go to work on what other options are available to us to bring down costs in due course. Um, but uh, right now, the thing right in front of us is getting the hybrid on the track and doing that successfully. That's our focus. Well, Mark, we're going to have our in-depth interview with you a little bit later in the show. Uh, but I did want to start off the show by asking you about the news uh, uh, in IndyCar that developed late last week. Uh, I appreciate you calling and, uh, you know, getting an extra opportunity to speak with you. Mark Miles, thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. My pleasure. Thanks, Bruce. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. 
And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. Hey, everybody. This is Joseph Newgarden, winner of the 107th Indianapolis 500, and you're listening to Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. Welcome back to Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. And now, here's the first part of my extended interview with Penske Entertainment CEO and President Mark Miles that was conducted on December 6th. In this segment, Miles talks about another important project for IndyCar in 2024 as it attempts to strike a new television and media rights deal. Miles tells us more in this exclusive interview for Pit Pass Indy. Joining us now is a man who's always busy, always in a meeting. In fact, it just pulled him out of a meeting. It's Penske Entertainment President and CEO Mark Miles. Mark, we're doing this interview in December at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but it may as well be May because you're constantly busy and you're getting prepared for the 2024 season, which is a pivotal year for IndyCar. If you could just bring our listeners a little bit up to speed about everything you've been doing so far in the offseason and the goals that lie ahead. Yeah, well, welcome. Good to have you here. Um, even if I'd rather that we were already in St. Pete and it was a sunny day and we're getting ready to race. Um, yeah, the the so-called off season for us is is uh, is intensely busy. Only recently have we quit being on the track, so we have a lot of track events even well after IndyCar uh, champion has been uh, has been crowned uh, but that's now pretty much done so there's care and maintenance of, of the of the big the ground dam the facility at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway um, there's the creating of the budgets or the plan for 2024 in this case there's year-end performance reviews of all of our employees and uh, you know uh, deciding on on any end of year bonus compensation all those administrative things that take an enormous amount of time, especially if you care about doing them thoughtfully and communicating well with, with your employees about it. Beyond that, we're, uh, we're doing something that we only do from time to time. And that's, uh, uh, we, uh, are in the process of beginning the marketing of our media rights. So our agreement with NBC goes through 2024 next calendar year, and they are continue to be a superb partner. We think they've helped us grow a lot and they've uh, done all kinds of things that most people wouldn't see to, to be a good partner. And yet they know that before we would look at locking up with them again for the next however many years, we, we have to go to the market and understand uh, who else is interested and, and, and uh, what, what different platforms might mean to us. So we've been to uh, LA, I think, 
on four one-day trips in the last month and to New York a couple times on the same kind of basis. These are out there on a long flight and red-eye back. And, uh, you know, it's a bit of a grind, but it's they're really encouraging conversations because a significant number of prospective partners want to talk to us. There's a pretty good recognition that IndyCar continues to grow and expand and improve. And uh, so I think we'll have some... Um, interesting comparisons between media platforms and what they would offer. And, uh, and then eventually we'll, we'll get back to NBC and, uh, sometime I think well before the end of the first quarter, we're likely to have, uh, new arrangements for 2025. When you do business with NBC, you already know what they're capable of doing. They've delivered a lot of over the air network time slots on the big NBC network, which it may be 2024, but those are still very valuable to get the word out on your races. Streaming is, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like electrifying a car. Everybody talks about how electrification is going to be big, but are we quite there yet where the masses really want to do it? You could say the same thing about streaming. So how important is it when you've done business with a network like NBC that you protect a lot of the over-the-air network dates whether it be returning to NBC or going to a new partner? Well, first, let's just start with NBC. What approach they may be able to offer us for programming is, is still to be developed. The fact that they've had an emphasis on broadcast windows is a fact, but, but how many more or less they may be able to provide going forward is an important part of the substance of the conversation we'll, we'll get into with them. Um, but your question is a little broader than that. It's really, how do you look at streaming, um, cable, uh, network, over-the-air networks, as you put it, and, and all the rest of it? And the answer is we look at all of it, and everything's connected to everything else. So um, there's no question that uh, our reach, our audience, and our viewership has improved in part because of NBC's, they do a great job with the with the the sport, but also because they've given us more generally more network windows. And the reality is that there's going to be for, for a while, at least more people watching sports on network than there are on streamers. So can you combine are some things on one thing, one platform and other events on another, or, or really what's the optimal way forward? In my mind, probably the optimal reach would be, every IndyCar race that's, you know, is live on a, net, a broadcast network, whether that, and maybe you could also like if it was NBC with Peacock, have everything also available to streamers. But uh, that's what this process is about is understanding which platforms bring what to the table in terms of the way we'd be seen. And uh, looking at that along with promotion, along with production, along with, rights fees, and then coming to the right conclusion. When you signed up with NBC, one of the great advantages was everything was on one network, whereas before it was split. Part of the season was on ABC, ESPN. The other part of the season was on NBC or NBC Sports Network. Actually, it was all on NBC Sports Network. NBC came aboard with the new contract. But could the future contract be another split deal where you have certain number of races on one brand, another certain number of races on another brand? Um, th that's unlikely because 
we don't have that many races. We don't have that many programs, if you will. Obviously different than, than NASCAR, which has a much longer season and a number of different, uh, you know, even series between trucks and Xfinity and Cup. So I think that's different. If we're talking about 17 races. You split that in half. Um, that, that may actually be less and not more. But we're open to having any conversation. We are open to any broadcasters saying, did you think about it, splitting it? And this is what that might look like. But another way to think about splitting or multiple platforms would be like we've had with NBC, where the, the, the sharing or, the, or the, uh, the, the distribution on more than one platform could be broadcast and streaming and even doing those together simulcast. When you look at the streaming universe, there's a lot that can get complicated. If you want to watch Thursday night NFL football, you got to have Prime. If you want to watch some other entities, you got to have a different type of streaming platform. But with NBC, you get both. You get the network and you get Peacock, which in a lot of ways seems to be a very good, efficient way of doing things. Do you think that that's something that IndyCar fans are learning I think it's really very user-friendly. Um, if they want to watch o- over the air on broadcast, they don't necessarily need to go to Peacock. If they want to be, if they're a streamer, then they don't necessarily have to go to the over-air opportunity. Um, so uh, they, they, I think it's very user-friendly and it hasn't been confusing. The confusing or clunky thing tends to be that if, if you know, I mean, people surf when they're watching and it's tough still on streaming platforms to watch something and then decide you want to pop off and go to another platform and then go back to your platform. And I can do it a lot easier on my Comcast uh, voice activated uh, remote, but it's coming and, and people are getting it. And there's no question that, uh, the day is coming when uh, streaming platforms will have even larger audiences and, uh, and definitely they're younger. NASCAR recently announced a seven-year media rights deal that is worth a total of $7.7 billion, $1.1 billion a year. Of course, it's going to include multiple networks and even some streaming partners. Is that a good sign for television interest in IndyCar? Well, first I'd say congratulations to, to Steve Phelps and to NASCAR. I think for them at this point in time, that was really a terrific achievement. The amount of total rights fees, I certainly look at as a win, and I'm sure that they and their stakeholders must feel the same way. So full credit to, uh, to, to engineering a, a complicated but successful deal. Um, we'll see what it does for audience uh, and whether... They definitely have fewer network, you know, races on network than in 25 than they will in 24. They'll have more net, more races on cable and they will introduce six races, a few, five, I think, exclusively on, on a streaming platform. So, you know, how quickly the audience adapts and knows where to go and, uh, and, and, and follows is, is the bet. And, um, listen, I wouldn't bet against them. I think they've, you know, NASCAR is great and they've got a very loyal audience and 
I, I think they and their new partners will be counting on that audience following them wherever, wherever the show goes. Not only in your role are you in charge of IndyCar, but you're also ultimately in charge of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which means you're going to get an even bigger check for the Brickyard 400 under the new TV deal by being uh, on that schedule. And how valuable is that? Because I know that you've told me in the past that when it comes to TV money, that's where the Brickyard 400 is a very valuable property. Yeah, well, I hope your assumption is right. I don't think NASCAR has, and they just finished their deal and they haven't finish thinking through and communicating whether it's to teams or to tracks, you know, what the distribution will look like, but they certainly will have some more to distribute. And hopefully uh, some of that will find its way to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the Brickyard weekend. One last question on the TV deal though. So you believe by the Indianapolis 500 in 2024, you will already have a deal in place and ready to make an announcement or is that basically what your target is? No, I think we'll have that before the 500 in 2024. And will there be other things involved in the media rights deal, whether it be the network's uh, digital platform in terms of, you know, right now you get a lot of coverage from NBCSports.com, also Peacock. Are there going to be functions in place with a new deal that you would want to see something like that on, whether it be on NBC or a new partner? Yeah, all, all that's in play. All that's part of the the discussions about what the vision and the ability and ultimately a commitment from a broadcast partner would be. What, what do they bring to the table? Not just digital commitments um, and loosening restrictions on what we can do digitally, but also, um, you know, shoulder programming, other forms of exposing IndyCar and, and what the appetites will be. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. The 2024 NTT IndyCar Series is back on track. And our friends from High V are back, preparing for another High V IndyCar race weekend at Iowa Speedway as IndyCar returns to the fastest short track on the planet, July 12th through the 14th, 2024. It's one of the biggest weekends of the summer with two races on the 0.875-mile Iowa Speedway Oval and four of the biggest names in entertainment performing concerts over the weekend. This year's schedule includes a night race on Saturday, July 13th and a day race on Sunday, July 14th. But wait, there's more. Four of the biggest names in entertainment will perform during the weekend. Luke Combs will perform on the High V stage on Saturday, July 13th, before the first NTT IndyCar Series race of the unique doubleheader weekend. Country music star Eric Church will take the stage after the completion of Saturday's race. Both Combs and Church will perform for 90 minutes on the trackside High V stage. On Sunday, July 14th, country music sensation Kelsey Bellarini will perform for one hour after the final IndyCar Series race of the weekend before Post Malone closes out the memorable event at Iowa Speedway with a 90-minute performance on the High V stage. It will be the first time famed entertainer Post Malone has performed in Central Iowa. The concerts are included with each Saturday-Sunday High V IndyCar Race Weekend ticket. Fans can also purchase a concert pit pass for access to the exclusive trackside concert viewing area, 
with passes expected to sell out quickly. Event weekend tickets and passes can be purchased online at www.hivindycarweekend.com. Since the inaugural event in 2022, Hy-Vee IndyCar Race Weekend has become one of the most popular annual events on the IndyCar calendar. Although the Hy-Vee IndyCar Race Weekend at Iowa Speedway promises to be the highlight of the summer, race over to your local Hy-Vee throughout the year. Hy-Vee, where there's a helpful smile in every aisle. This is Will Power of Team Penske, and you're listening to Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. Welcome back to Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. And now, here's the rest of my exclusive interview with Mark Miles with more information on the hybrid assist unit and a few other topics for Pit Pass Indy. Remember, this interview was conducted on December 6th, one day before IndyCar announced a delay in the rollout of the hybrid assist unit until later in the 2024 season. Now, moving on to a different topic, the hybrid assist unit. It's during the offseason, there's been a lot of testing involved. Not everything has necessarily gone smoothly. I know you have a target date of having everything in place for the first race of the season in St. Pete, the first weekend of March. How would you assess and evaluate how that's going and how much work needs to be done between now at the end of December and going into the start of the season in March? Well, first I'd say I love what I think the hybrid will deliver to fans, which is horsepower and more strategy in the hands or foot of a driver. So I, I think that's terrific, um, and that's really the promise of it in, in many respects, along with other things like safety and fewer yellows or shorter yellows and the like. Um, to your question, an enormous amount of work has been done. Lots of hours of, I mean, hours and miles on, on the track, on dynos with uh, components as they've been developed. It's very difficult because this is, original, it's an originally developed system. It's not, we didn't buy somebody's battery. Um, one of the terrific things about it is that Honda and Chevy and Elmore with IndyCar have worked hand in glove together, not just individual fingers in the glove, but really collaborated to bring this together. And I think that's going to pay some dividends in ways like, you know, we can imagine in years to come. They've been very effective in working together. And then, um, you know, it, it's not done, even if lots has been done. And the last thing we want to do is put it in a race and not have it uh, up to snuff. So we, we got to get it right. And wonderful if that's St. Pete. It's not the end of the world if it's not. It's the most important thing is that when it's introduced – it's reliable and continues to improve our racing. So for the 2024 season, will the emphasis be more on reliability of the hybrid assist unit itself more than the additional horsepower that it'll be able to produce? Uh, I guess, but honestly, I, I don't rank them. It has to be dependable and it's going to deliver more horsepower. So uh, I, I don't, I don't think there's a trade off there. And, um, 
and I think it's pretty clear internally at least kind of how how it will be used, which as I said, in one way or another should give more options to the drivers about how to use that horsepower. You and I go back all the way to when you took over at the end of 2012. And as we look at a lot of the new things that have happened in IndyCar during that time span, you heard engineers and people complain about, oh, we'll never get these aero kits ready in time where you don't have enough parts. You know, it's going to split the field. Well, eventually you got it done. And during that era, it added an interesting challenge. Then we had the aero screen where you had people say, oh, it's added too much weight to the car. The cockpit's too hot. Driver's going to broil inside the car. Well, they figured it out. And now it's been a necessary safety device. When I was here in October talking to some of the engineers at both Chevrolet and Honda, they're both wringing their hands, gnashing their teeth about uh, supply chain issues, reliability issues. Is this something that is just another example of the same story, but with a different topic? Because eventually they do figure it out. I think that's a really uh, insightful question um, and one that I wouldn't have really appreciated uh, fully when we would have met when I started here. Um, every new development comes with risks. And I, mean, I remember back when the Aero Kits competition was introduced. That wasn't my decision. It was something that happened on my watch. And frankly, I just thought it was going to be fantastic that, you know, cars will look different and and that's good for fans and performance will be better and then you find out that maybe one competitor does a little better than the other and half your teams feel like they're disadvantaged through no fault of their own. So then you got to fix it, as you said. So change comes with risk. Technical change in particular comes with risk. And everything gets better, even if it's what you wanted it to be when you first introduce it over time. L look at the uh, improvements of our racing over the last uh, several years because the OEMs and the teams get smarter and, and they're better at taking advantage of what's, what they've got to work with. And that improves the racing. A couple of weeks ago on the EPAR Trade Race Week seminar or webinar, you made a comment about the hybrid assist introduction being more valuable than a new car. If you could explain why you feel that way. Well, maybe I said that, but I don't quite think of it that way. What, what I meant what I, what I think is um, we are committed to the hybrid and its development, and that's not done yet. And, and it'll, it, you know, as long as we have the hybrid, it'll keep getting better. But the introduction of it in racing isn't done yet. So that's the priority. And we need to get that done before we start talking about what's next with a car. I don't know that, and may, maybe I think of it, in some ways I could say that it's more valuable I guess I think it's at least uh, it's next and it needs to be our focus. But as far though, as the race fan sitting in the grandstand, we're sitting here at the back of paddock penthouse E, which is a great place to view the Indianapolis 500, but race fans come, they always kind of want to see something that looks a little bit different. And for the most part, the cars, yeah, they've had different iterations throughout the years, but it's still a car that began in 2012. And is there a long range goal of eventually developing a new car? Because right now you have 27 full-time entries, which is really, really good. 
No, I think our racing's fantastic. I think our fans understand that it's fantastic. They may not appreciate launching a a new car, fully new car, will bring enormous risks and and maybe it produces better racing, but that'll be a question that has to get answered. So again, um, we haven't set a, a timetable, but the first things first, and the first thing is the continued focus on on, on delivering the hybrid system to our racing in a way that will be reliable and improve the racing even more and, and be something that the fans will appreciate. But from a business standpoint, you have a very healthy field right now. You have, like I said, 27 full-time entries and they're sponsored. There was a time not too long ago where we couldn't have said that. So on the one hand, you've got a strong economic model that a lot of teams are benefiting from. Why would you take the gamble in changing that? Well, your question is, is largely the way we think about it. It's really good. And so our hair's not on fire about changing it. The change is the hybrid system that we've committed ourselves to. Um, it probably stands to reason, though, that at some point there'll be more uh, dramatic uh developments of the car or even a new car, but it's just not our priority at this moment. You teased us a couple of weeks ago saying that in 2025, you're working on a really big show-stopping event. If you, so that led to a lot of speculation of maybe a street race here or a return to an oval there. If you could maybe explain a little bit more what you were talking about. No, I won't. <laughs> we uh, th there may be more than one thing, and maybe it's a race, or maybe it's uh, it's something else. But uh, right now, we're finalizing our plans for twenty four. We're thinking ahead about what else can be uh, added value uh, for the fans and for for the teams and for us in twenty twenty five and beyond. But I don't have anything else to add at this moment. So that can fuel more speculation as to what that may be. Fine. One of your partners owns one of your racetracks. It's a very key part of the schedule. NASCAR owns Iowa Speedway, and you've had a great relationship there with the High V IndyCar Race Weekend at Iowa. NASCAR is going to run a race, which they already announced earlier this week, as a sellout at 24000 They don't plan on putting up any additional grandstands, but that race is like three weeks early in advance of your IndyCar race at Iowa Speedway in July. How difficult is it going to be to construct all of the additional things that IndyCar uses and that Hy-V uses for that date if NASCAR is not going to be there to maybe share the cost in putting those up? Well, I think our people with Hy-V and with the track ownership have looked at that carefully and are convinced that it may be even more intensive work than it has been in the past, but we can manage it and both events can be successful. Iowa is a very loyal market. A lot of the fans that come to the IndyCar race weekend, uh, the High V weekend in July, have turned that into a destination because of the entertainment that is part of the weekend. But is there also some concern about maybe with some of the locals that they decide, well, I can go to one race weekend or another, that that becomes a factor? Uh, I, I guess it could be, but we, we don't think that's the likely result. We think that the two events are differentiated enough that fans will want to go to both or the fans that want to go to our race will continue to want to go to our race. And as you say, our race has 
uh, is, is surrounded by world-class music and that's going to continue. And I think that package will continue to attract the, the fans that it has. Two topics I want to hit on before we wrap up. One is the all-star type event that you're going to have at the Thermal Club. Although it's not a points-paying race, it's going to be billed as a special event. It's going to be before the Indianapolis 500, which this year there will not be an oval preceding it. But how do you plan on getting the biggest bang for that weekend? Uh, well, that's a great question. I think it, it is novel um, and novelty in and of itself will cause people to want to watch. It was never meant to be a typical race. It was never meant to see how many people we could bring in and sit in the seats or the infield. It is really a, a, a made for television event. And so hopefully it can, uh, it can attract a large television audience and fans will see us in a different light in a different setting and appreciate how amazing thermal is. And yet, uh, see our guys race a couple of heat races and, and race for a million bucks. I know when they announced the ticket price at $2,000, wasn't it necessarily more for like what a lot of the members of the thermal club would pay for their guests to come in more so than trying to get the outside public to come in. No, exactly. Uh, in retrospect, I think we probably didn't communicate that very effectively because our fans think if they're having a race, there's going to be, you know, do we want to go? And we sure didn't expect our fans to pay generally to pay 2000 bucks a ticket, nor do we have with the promoters, the owners of the club ambitions to bring a lot of people in. It's, it, it is basically going to be accessible for the public via television. And that's why, that plus the different format are, are reasons that we don't give it points. And we, we, it is a special event that's essentially made for TV. And also you've toyed with the idea of having a exhibition race in Argentina. What's the prospects of that happening? And if so, is it imminent or is it pretty far down the road? Well, uh, the, the conversation and the work on it continues our, our uh, prospective partners in Argentina are con are absolutely convinced that they can do a first class event for fourth quarter of 2024. We have to work through all those details and satisfy ourselves, and then fund fundamentally make a decision: is is that is that what we want to do in the off season? Um, but I, it, it appears that it is likely to be available to us. And how valuable would that be? Because I know a lot of the team owners around here or team principals will say, well, we don't have a sponsor. Our sponsor doesn't do business in Argentina. doesn't really help us that much. How does that help the series? Well, first of all, it would we, we would pass through a lot of the sanction fee to the leader circle. So, you know, not all leader circle uh, teams are – healed in the same way to the same extent. But for many of them, the increase that we'd be able to put in the leader circle would be quite useful. So there is an economic benefit. I'm not saying it makes or breaks a team's year, uh, but for the most part, they don't have additional typical costs that they would if we were to race at a, you know, in the States to, for a championship race. I'm not saying they don't have any costs because they'll have crashes and the like, but basically all the room and board and, uh, and transportation for teams and freight is paid for. That isn't the case if they go race in 
Portland or the West Coast or wherever. Um, and otherwise, beyond the immediate economics for the teams, I think it can, it would continue to help us grow our audience, ultimately our exposure and our television rights outside the U.S. Uh, and and perhaps bring in sponsors for the series of the teams subsequently. So, I mean, it's a good thing to have more exposure and more excitement. And, and if we do it, we'll be convinced that it's going to be at an outstanding facility with really big crowds and enthusiastic crowds. And that's, that's always a good thing to show IndyCar in that light. Mark, your office overlooks the back of Turn 1 grandstands here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, as I mentioned earlier, Paddock Penthouse E, which is the best seat in the house. When you're in here working late at night or you're having a meeting late at night, do you sometimes hear the ghosts of the Speedway speak to you? Yeah, no, it's a really special place. And uh, uh, we're constantly reminded by the view and and our location and, and by fans that we see every day when we go to lunch on Main Street or Speedway or whatever that we're privileged to be here and uh, and that we're kind of carrying a torch for a lot of history and a lot of fans. And uh, we hope to always not let them down and to, and to grow their enthusiasm for it and, and the position of IMS and IndyCar in the world of sports. Mark Miles, president and CEO, Penske Entertainment. We appreciate you taking part of your busy day to give us a chance to catch up with you and talk to you on Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. Good luck during the off season, making some of these great plans come together. Have a terrific Christmas and a very happy holiday. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Thank you for having me and same to you and the fans for the holidays. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hi, I'm Scott McLaughlin, driver of the number three Team Penske Chevy, and you're listening to Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. We want to thank our guest, Penske Entertainment President and CEO Mark Miles, for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental, your path to victory lane in IndyCar. And because of our guests and listeners, Pit Pass Indy is proud to be the winner of the best podcast by the National Motorsports Press Association. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500.
This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin. And final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall.